play again. You guys lose on a Friday, so you get an extra day off of mm -hmm. rest before you even come back to your organized team activities. What was that like for you after the loss to have to sit with it, deal with it, for face the reality days. of it for, for an extra day yeah. prior to getting into game prep for this weekend's opponent? Yeah, uh, it was tough. And, you know, I, I also talked to Carson. Uh, Carson texted me, Palmer, he texted me uh, the morning after the game and was talking about how in 2000, it was either 2002 or 03, when they lost uh, in Pullman and they were trying to go win a national championship. And he just talked about uh, how they had a bye after that game. And so they literally had a whole week to think about it. And yeah, you know, the day, the extra day to think about it kind of sucked, but at the same time, it was good to, for me, especially personally, to go home to San Clemente and relax for a little bit and just kind of take a mental break and be able to relax with some of my friends in San Clemente and then obviously my parents as well. Um, it's always nice when you can do that, but the extra day of <laughs> feeling that loss was kind of, kind of crappy, but you know, you, you just kind of, you learn from it and you move on. Carson's team went on to smoke Iowa in the Orange Bowl that yep. year. What did he tell you about how his team bounced back from that? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I think just learning. Yeah, you just learn from experiences. Uh, you know, obviously we didn't want to lose on Friday, but we're a team that hasn't lost in, that didn't lose in a long time prior to that. And I think um, that almost you know you don't want to lose, but it was almost maybe a good loss to fight so hard and to lose a battle like that against a great Washington State team uh, and realize that, you know, we got to bring our A game every single game. We can't just go out there because I thought, you know, personally, um, I didn't play very well and then our offense obviously didn't play very well and there's some things that we need to correct. Uh, and, you know, that kind of got, uh, I guess, highlighted in that loss a little bit. Later in the podcast, we have your center on Nico Follow, as you referenced earlier. When there's so much shifting on the offensive line, you know, literally prior to the trip, you learn, or at least we learn as outsiders, that one of your alignment isn't going to make the trip to Olobendon. Um, and then as the game went on, you lose a couple of guys. For you, guy who's protected by all those people, how do you adjust in game to that? And what was it like as new players got their opportunity to perform, just like you did? over a year ago. Right, yeah, I, I don't think you can change the way you play, especially as a quarterback, uh, because you spend so much time practicing uh, a certain way that you don't want to really change anything just because a couple guys uh, had, to, had to come in and you expect them uh, to step up and you expect nothing to change from the starters. So um, that was my, my mindset going in there. And obviously if a guy comes loose, I'm gonna do my best to try to you know step up, escape, or do whatever, but um, I thought I thought for the most part they did a great job of stepping in and uh, you know there there are some great things on film uh, that they can learn from too uh, so it was just it was definitely um, a learning experience for me and for those guys at line and uh, and for some of the receivers uh, as well so it was just it was a good um, a good learning experience I think for our whole offense I love it all right so we're gonna bring in somebody who's had an incredible learning experience. One scholarship offer coming out of high school, Jordan Palmer, was to UTEP. All he did was become 
the career passing leader at that institution. Went on to play for multiple teams in the NFL. Played with his brother Carson of the Cincinnati Bengals, who obviously everybody listening to this podcast knows Carson, the All-American Heisman Trophy winner from USC. And now Jordan, he's got a really eclectic life. He's coaching guys. You've worked with him a ton. Um, and he's got his own marketing company. He does so many unique things. I'm excited to see where you go with this interview, man, because he's got such an interesting mind, and you know him so well. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Uh, I can't wait to ask him some maybe some hard questions, but he he'll probably think they're easy. But uh, no, I'm I'm super excited to get it rolling. I love it. All right, so Jordan, we're bringing the hard questions your way, man. We'll be right back with Jordan Paul. All fired up for our next guest on the Season of Sam podcast. In Heritage Hall, below all the Heisman trophies, we bring in Jordan Palmer. You probably recognize the last name if you're an SC fan or a fan of the NFL's brother Carson Starr here. But Jordan, I gotta be honest with you, man. Today, you've done a lot of interviews. Today will not be an easy one because Sam Donald has said, quote, he's bringing the hard questions for you. So uh, I'm glad you got your sleep. We know that you got a young baby, Ford, in the house, but uh, I've got confidence you can handle those questions, man. You ready to roll? Bring it on, I'm ready. How are we doing, guys? Doing good. We're doing good. We're doing good. All right, so I want to kick you off with with my first question before I turn it over to Sam, is that when you were watching Carson go through his recruiting process and then goes to SC, has the ups and the downs, and then finishes the way that he did, I'm curious what you observed. Because everyone on the outside observed uh, a high-profile recruit. They observed a uh, Heisman Trophy, a uh, big win in the Orange Bowl, obviously somebody who was the number one pick in the NFL, but you were closer to him than any of us who watched it. I'm curious what you took from his experiences and applied it to your life, because then your career went on and your story got going, which we're going to dive into. Yeah, absolutely. Carson's an easy guy to talk about because I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, I think I, I, I learned a definition, you know, cause this is like my idol growing up, you know, he's like four and a half years older than me. So when you're 12 and your brother's 16, that's, you know, you're not trying to be in the NFL when you're in 12, you idolize the high school kid. Right. And, uh, and so I learned kind of my definition of resiliency and perseverance because, you know, after Carson's junior year, he got a fourth round grade from the NFL. He had 50 touchdowns and 50 picks and he had consecutive seasons where he led the pack 10 Sam, that's what the Pac-12 used to be called. He had the, led the Pac-10 in interceptions two years in a row. And I remember over Carson's bed, there was uh, the Daily Trojan had an article um, casting votes asking how many Trojan students wanted Matt Leinert to start over and bench Carson Palmer and start the freshman Matt Leinert. And the way that Carson handled that was uh, leading his team to the Orange Bowl, winning the Heisman Trophy, and being the number one pick. And, and so that was kind of my first example of watching somebody battle that and deal with the resiliency and develop perseverance. And so for a young, impressionable kid, man, that was an incredible thing for me to witness. Do you think, uh, do you think Carson was your idol growing up, or did you have someone that you, like I guess Michael Jordan would be the first one that I would point to, but, uh, or like a Kobe Bryant, did you have someone kind of like that, or was Carson always just that guy you looked up to? Yeah, I was a big Bo Jackson fan. Um, I think I did a book report on the book Bo Knows Bo, like five years in a row, you know. And uh, <laughs> part of that was laziness, but enough to read a new book. Island of the Blue Dolphins got old. So, um, but I just did Bo Knows Bo. So I was a big Bo Jackson fan. But I, I mean, I didn't grow, want to grow up. I never thought I'd be like Bo Jackson. Um, that was an athlete thing. Uh, yeah, it was too hard for me to have a bunch of fans just because I had this, this, this killer uh, brother right in front of me and 
it's pretty cool. I mean, we, we literally always got along. We never even fought once. Uh, super weird. Um, but yeah, you know, I was a ball boy when I was in middle school for his high school team. And then, you know, I was in high school to play Mission Viejo. We beat up on teams like San Clemente. And then I'd go to the SC game the next day. And, and, uh, and so that was kind of the, yeah, growing up, it was really cool to have that experience. And then I'd say the football wise, the other person is we watched the Cowboys when we were little. And so Troy Aikman was in his prime at that time. Kind of want to shift gears from talking about your life, I guess, uh, just transition from NFL to business. Uh, was there a difficulty moving on from football? Because uh, we talk about it all the time, me and my friends, with with some of the former players here that might not know when it's time to quit. Um, d- did you have a hard time moving on from football, or was it pretty clear-cut to you? Well, I, I think for me it was different. I When I played in the NFL, like over 10 years, all every year I didn't know if I was making the team the next year. So – there's kind of two sides of this. It was the side one of necessity where I actually legitimately, I'm, I might have been playing for the bears, but also sitting here going, I'm thinking about next year and two and three years down the road and thinking about things I need to do to prepare for that. Um, so it was out of necessity. It wasn't, you know, trying to be cool or trying to make a, a giant pile of money. It was out of necessity. And the second side of it is I, I genuinely believe that athletes, particularly once you get to college and definitely after college, professional athletes are entrepreneurs. So you just look at my career, right? So on a, on a good season as a third string quarterback making league minimum, if things go well and you make the team, you can make a couple hundred grand that year. Um, if they go really well, you could parlay that into a couple million dollar contract. And if everything aligns and timing and all that, and look at Kirk Cousins right now, then you can make life changing, never work again money. But you can also get cut and make zero dollars. So I actually, now that I've started a few businesses, I, I, I see the direct correlation between identifying yourself as an athlete and putting in the time and effort and energy that you even right now as an amateur are putting in to your career and somebody who's starting a business. So for me, it was the necessity side of it. And then there was also the, I have always identified myself as an entrepreneur. And so creating things was always felt natural and betting my time and my effort, my energy and putting all that on the line for a desired outcome always came natural. And so, yeah, did, did seeing the business side of football and really understanding how that worked, did that, uh, did that really, like, propel you into wanting to be a businessman, or did you always kind of know where you wanted to take your career after football? Well, I, I was a beneficiary of a couple things. When I was a freshman, or when I was a rookie, my now business partners, uh, my buddies growing up, and you know these guys, Taylor and Josh, um, Josh had started Power Balance when he was 21 years old out of Yale. So I was like a rookie watching my high school buddies build this company that made tens of millions of dollars and had a hundred employees. So I'm sitting here, I don't have anything to do with it. I'm just watching it. And that was like really cool to see, you know, like it felt like game day for them, you know? And so I just having that impression on me, I saw, and I saw the ugly too, the good, the bad, and the ugly with that, but it was really, really cool to see. And so I did get pretty fired up on it as a rookie and, um, and so that's when I started. So then when I looked at the NFL, and I looked at it, and I realized, you know, when you're going into the NFL, if you're going to be a, a big time quarterback, you know, kids leaving college is going to be a big time quarterback, or you're going to be a head coach. It comes down to ownership. You want to play, you want to coach, you want to work for the team that has the best ownership. And so for me, when I look at business, I go, it's not about the product. It's not about the market. It's all about picking the right partners having the right employees, having the right mindset, the right culture. And so there's a direct correlation. And the cool thing is, is like, 
I played for some teams that did not have that. I played for the Cincinnati Bengals for four years. I, I'm fine saying this on a pot. Like, they don't have that. They don't have great leadership from the top down and consistency throughout and all the players loving their employers and how they work. And I played for teams that do have that. And so in business, I really strive to, to build those types of organizations and, and partner with those types of people. We, we talk about it all the time, there being that learning curve from when you just start, you know, as a, I guess for me as a freshman uh, last year in college, and then obviously when you get to the NFL being a rookie, there's that learning curve into becoming um, like you and your brother did, you know, an NFL vet. Is there, when you go into business, did you feel when you first got into it that you were a rookie and that all these people had so much more experience than you and that you had a lot of, uh, a lot of catching up to do, I guess? Or was it pretty, pretty easy just because of the, those um, couple friends that you had that had been in business for a while before you? No, I feel like, um, again, I guess it's a great question because there's such a, such a direct correlation between um, business and then being a franchise, you know, being a quarterback and manufacturing your career and, and, and being opportunistic and taking advantage of opportunities. Uh, because no, I think mean, it's never over. Um, you're ever, you know, meaning you, ne- you haven't like learned all the stuff that, that doesn't happen. Tom Brady doesn't know it all. And so he can just kind of post up this off season. He's got a bunch of stuff he's got to fix. And so, and it's always ongoing and there's always new problems. And so uh, in running a business, uh, I, I really feel like, again, starting with the right foundation, the right partners, but in the early stages, and I've told this to you, I've told this to a lot of, a lot of the young guys who are transitioning from college into the, the working world is um, this is time to gather experience and knowledge. I, you know, I tell guys who are early on who want to get promoted, like, don't worry about money yet. It's fine. Like, if anything, learn how to live on a budget. But it's information arbitrage is the term I call I use, and it's really trying to really understand the ins and outs and you and take advantage of other people's experience, good and bad, because you know that you're a great you you ask great questions and you've been around a lot of great quarterbacks from the SC guys like Carson and Leinart and Barkley and those guys, but also to just other players that you've been around, you know, spending time with Deshaun Watson and these other guys. You you ask a lot of great, really great questions, and I can tell that you process these things. Like that's the same mindset I think in business. So I take calls with other businesses and brands and agencies. A lot of times where the goal is just to learn. And I feel like that helped me in football and, and it helps me on this side. Jordan, I want to dive into that a little further with you. You know, I think, and, and we've worked together for a bunch of years on the quarterback uh, front. I think when you when you narrow down the position, if I had to describe QBs in one word, I'd say they're seekers, like these guys that are just are seeking knowledge about their system, about answers to a defense, answers to their play, but also seekers, like you just described, of knowledge, of what their future is going to be like on, off the field, interpersonally, whatever it may be. I'm curious when you went through your path, because this whole podcast is about Sam seeking unique stories, knowledge, anecdotes from other people who have done amazing things in their lives and putting them into his toolbox. As you did that for over a decade, did you have an organizational structure to sift through that, to, to put it into whether it was a Word document or a note on your phone or something so you kind of were able to explore <coughs> even further some of the things that you were interested in in business beyond just the gridiron? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one of the things I look back on that I wish I would have done. And, uh, and so that's a, that's a, a regret of mine is no, I, I rolled with it and I continue to learn and ask questions. And I do wish that there was some, some, you know, doc or, or archive 
of these stories. And a lot of quarterbacks, it's funny, you probably heard this a million times, Yog, and they say, oh, yeah, that'll be the title of my book. Or that'll be a chapter. Oh, that, what, that last season? Yeah, that'll be a chapter in my book. Uh, and so few of them end up writing books. But it, like actually thinking about that, you could essentially just have your book written in, you know, in a couple of days <laughs> if you really have that stuff archived. Um, and Yogi gave me great advice. I was playing for the Bears and <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I was playing for the Bears and I had this crazy thing where I got cut at the end of training camp. And I had, I thought I was done playing. It was a random thing where I got a phone call to come back and I got cut at the end of training camp, but my wife and I had already had a trip planned to go to Europe for a month. And I said, let's just do it week one, because if I'm not on a team by the end of training camp, by the end of preseason, I'm not going to be on a team. Well, I randomly get a phone call at the last second. I play two games in Chicago. I get cut and I say, Hey, listen, I leave for London in two days. Let me know if you're going to bring me back. And they said, just make sure you can watch these games from near an international airport. So for four weeks, I was all over Europe with my wife, and we were, you know, at 2 a.m. watching the Bears games. I come back home, and four days later, Jay Cutler tears his groin off his bone, and I fly to Chicago, and I played 12 weeks. And a yogi gave me great advice. He said, you need to just talk into a GoPro and just document this, because if you end up playing in the Super Bowl or something, this is a Disney movie right here. Um, and, but the idea of really just actually documenting it, because – most fans check a bunch of stats, follow a bunch of teams, have their fans, have their stuff. Nobody really knows just how gnarly the ups and downs are and how crazy this journey is. And Sam, I mean, the last year of your life, this is, it's nuts, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty nuts. But uh, also we talked a little bit about before this year uh, when they did the, uh, the hard knocks of the Bengals when you were with obviously your brother Carson and, uh, uh, you talked, or Yogi was talking about how you always wanted to be, you know, kind of the guy and making your own video blog. And, uh, that kind of goes back to, I think, uh, you just wanting to create a story for yourself and wanting to get something out of it. And, uh, can you just talk a little bit about that experience with the HBO team and, uh, how that worked, honestly, cause I don't even, I've, I don't know what it would be like to be on Hard Knocks or how involved they are with everything. So I uh, just kind of curious about yeah, that. Yeah, the Hard Knocks experience is, is a trip. Um, every coach says this, uh, kind of getting the team ready for it. They say, hey, it's going to feel crazy for the first three or four days, and then you'll forget the cameras are there. And, and in Hard Knocks, they're not like filming one player, right? They're looking for storylines. So there's like 12 cameras live at all times running around gathering stuff. So there's like a big crew. But it's totally true. After like three or four days, like totally didn't even think about it and forgot that they were there. Um, but Hard Knocks was really cool to be a part of uh, because they turned it around so quickly. So it was on, I don't know what nights it's on now, but I remember being in training camp and in Wednesday nights is when it used to be on. And so we were in Georgetown, Kentucky in the middle of nowhere uh, at camp and Wednesday night would roll around and we'd be watching it. And we we're like, dude, that's today. That's crazy. Like that, that, that hit was today. And so it was really impressive, the turnaround that they had. And I think um, it's a really unique show from that standpoint. And their budgets definitely reflect their ability to do that uh, versus the show on Amazon, All or Nothing, which, you know, airs later and there's a lot of turnaround time and, and editing. But, uh, yeah, it was crazy. But also on the Hard Knocks side of things, um, you know, they're looking for drama more so than most shows. And so they'll tell the, the tough story. And uh, we had a fullback named Jeremy Johnson, who unfortunately was, you know, uh, had a hard time making weight. And they made him look really bad. And 
I walked into the locker room and he was, you know, he was super, super upset. I'll probably leave it at that. But, you know, that had an effect on him. He got cut, never played again, and went back to his small town. And, unfortunately, I think that's a big part of, of his story. And so mm-hmm. there's good and bad with it for sure. Uh, and uh, when you're in the NFL and you're, you're doing that, you're, you know, you're, you're signing up for it. Jordan, I can remember uh, when I did my first film with NFL Films and one of the guys I worked with worked on that show and I was telling him about you and he jumped out of his seat with excitement because he was like, Jordan's one of those guys in the NFL that is making sure that he's talking to all these other people, whether it's his teammates about a potential app that you're building or about life after football. And, and I asked you that, and, and Sam and I were talking about it last night, around the idea of when you're in football, there's so much necessary to commit to the craft just to play well, let alone excel, because there's so much at the quarterback position, as we all know. But I believe that there's enough room to always carve out, whether it's your 20 minutes a day or hour a day, into, okay, how am I going to make sure that, yes, this game will utilize me and my skill set, but I'm also going to utilize the game in a beautiful way to set myself up for the future, whether it's reminding myself that I've got an amount, an incredible amount of grit or the ability to figure things out. You did it in the NFL, and I think that's really impressive. When you talk to young quarterbacks, because you've worked with Blake Bortles, Deshaun Watson, obviously Sam, a lot of guys, when you talk about the balance between football and giving everything you have to the craft, because you have to, but also utilizing the craft to make sure that you're not left standing in the cold when somebody who maybe has poor ownership says, you know, we're done with you. How have you taught them or how do you teach them? And what advice would you even give to Sam about making sure that you can create that quote-unquote balance necessary to utilize this game for things beyond just scoring touchdowns? Yeah, I, I, oh man, great question. I, I think uh, it's very, very easy. And Sam, here, so I talked to Carson yesterday, and, and we talked about you guys. And, um, you know, one of the things that Carson had said, which is so true, is when you're in it, it feels like the biggest thing in the world. Like being the starting quarterback at USC right now probably feels like everything, right? And it's hard to take a step back and realize that in the scheme of things, it's really not that big a deal. It's like one of the colleges in the country. It's one of the levels of football. You're one of the quarterbacks who play it. But when you're doing it and you're there all day, every day, and, and Carson goes, I feel this way right now. I feel like being the quarterback for the Cardinals is the biggest thing right now. So I think adding an element of perspective to appreciate and still commit all of that mind share, that effort, that energy into what you're doing but also understand that it is like a little tiny blip on the radar of everything that's happening. And I think that all, all the, the essence of that or the, the impetus for like bringing that up is just to, to give perspective on um, how big everything else is and to just make sure that like, like people can put too much into what they're doing and carry the, go too deep with the lows and get too high with the highs. So I would say one is perspective. And two is, is purpose. Um, I, I've just been on a mission to try and figure out what, what my purpose is. And I was able to really dive deep and find it. And I was challenged to be able to say, what is your purpose in 25 words or less? You know, if it's more than 25 words and it's not clear to you. And so I, I, I really worked at it for years because uh, I wanted my career as, as a backup quarterback. I wanted that to mean something to somebody other than my wife and I. And uh, my purpose in life is to use my experiences on and off the field to help young athletes maximize their opportunities on and off the field. And it becomes very clear. It became a North star for me. So one of the things when I get to spend a significant amount of time with a quarterback, 
and I run camps and you get the, you know, spend the weekend with them and Sam, you've been there, but when I get to spend a significant amount of time and we've talked about it, it really does come down to if you can at this age in high school, college and transition to the NFL, really figure out what, what the point of your career is and the purpose behind it and how you, this gift that you have of everybody caring about what you're doing, that gift, what can you do with that? Then it also it puts football in perspective, and it gives you a north star to make decisions off of based off what's really important against the outcome that you want as opposed to just trying to be great at football and work really hard like everyone else is doing. Can you also explain just the importance of having a great friend group? Like I know I was with uh... – I was with your buddy B this weekend, and uh, he's, a, he's a great guy and has been a longtime friend of yours, I know. And then, obviously, Dottie has been a rock for you. And now, Ford, it's, it's amazing to see uh, the love you share with all those people. And can you just kind of talk about how important those people are in your life and, uh, and where, they, where they are in your journey right now? Yeah, I, I can – I mean, I think there is a direct correlation – between like the superstar athletes who actually reached their potential and the ones that never did. And it, it comes down to that support group. I think that is one clear common denominator. And you look at the guys who were busts in any sport, whatever. And the guys that weren't, I, if you really dug deep and did some research, I bet you'd find a correlation between them having a very like honest support group around them and a tight circle. Carson's a great example. I mean, I mean, that whole, like, Drake song, No New Friends, Carson gets along with teammates and has buddies on teams that he's played with, but, I mean, his best friends are from Santa Margarita High School. I, I went to the Monday night game versus Dallas with 14 of his high school friends, and most of them are middle school friends. And, and so the fact that he has that group of friends who don't need anything from him and never would ask, never want anything from him, have their own lives, and yet they would absolutely call him out if he started acting differently. You know, it's just that support group. I was really lucky. My two business partners were my high school receiver and my backup quarterback in high school. And I married my high school sweetheart. So uh, I didn't really have a choice. I've, I've been pretty, pretty grounded in that. Uh, and then on the other side of it, though, the guys who just kind of changed when they got big and, you know, never really reached their potential. I think they surrounded them with yes people, you know, new people who came in and want those things. And it's one of the things that I'm challenging Deshaun with right now, and he's doing a great job of, is keeping that really close circle because you've been around Deshaun Watson a lot, and he's always been the man, but just watch. He's going to beat the Chiefs, undefeated Chiefs, on next Sunday night, and like he's going to become the face of the league throughout the end of this season and for the next 10 years, and that's going to be a real challenge. And I think one of the ways that you can combat that is with your question, which is making sure that that support group and that circle around you is honest people who will call it like they see it, and you actually trust and they trust you. Jordan, this has been great. Before we let you go, uh, I want to ask a, a final question. You've been around Sam for a while. Um, I think the first time you met him, you thought he was your brother's doppelganger. Um, <laughs> I, I'm curious, wh- what, what have you, <laughs> on a serious note though, and, and share that story, but uh, I'm, I'm really curious about what you observe when you're around this young man and in ways that maybe that he may not even realize now uh, a skill set that he has in terms of whether it's being a great teammate, a great friend, um, a great son, uh, somebody who's still connected to his community. Um, you have a unique insight into his life, and I'm interested in you sharing it before we let you go. Yeah, I think it's a funny story how we met. Um, I, I was going to throw with a guy who's had a big impact on my life growing up in Orange County, Bob Bezenko. Um He was a coach on, on the staff when I was in high school, and, and uh, he was around Carson and I a ton, and I just went – 
playing for, I think, for Chicago at the time. And I just, it was a Saturday at Capitol Valley High School. I went to go throw with him. And, you know, there's a handful of high school kids there. And I, I, I'm not, this story is not me going, I saw Sam Darnold as a sophomore. And I, knew it. <laughs> I knew he was, it was not that. I was just cracking up that he totally looked like Carson at that age. I'm not comparing physical talent or any of that. Just literally look like him. <laughs> so I was just cracking up. And then, you know, two years later, he's Elite 11. And, okay, and I get to know, you know, um, and develop. But, you know, I, I work with a lot of high school and college players. And most of the time, there's one thing I'm trying to do over the other things. And it's trying to get them better. And I think one of the things when you can tell with a couple of the guys that I've worked with, you know, Sam is definitely one of those. Deshaun was definitely one of those where it's like, no, I want to get you better, but I also want you to realize how good you are and help you down the path of really understanding like where you're at in this whole football journey compared to other people, but where you're at also against your potential. And so with Sam, it's, you know, we spent a lot of time this off off season. It's been documented, you know, and working on things like anybody does. And Sam's trying to be great and he's, you know, putting in the effort to, to match that. But also, you know, I think when you get young players in any sport that are really, really, really talented, you're balancing, oh, I don't want to be cocky and I want to stay humble. And I, dude, I don't know how good I am. Everybody's saying this. I don't know what that means. And then I threw five touchdowns in Penn State, processing a lot of stuff. And you're 20. Um, so one of the things with Sam is, is getting better. And the other thing is understanding really trying to really understand how to like live in this new skin. And it's been a crazy 12 months for Sam and a lot's changed. Right. And, and so really kind of owning that and being okay with that. Cause it's a fine line between being the, having the confidence that you need to play at that level. And when you're a humble guy like Carson or Deshaun or Sam, you know, not wanting to get over that line, that's a fine line to straddle. And so just me, I was never that at that level, but being around so many guys that are, I think that's the other thing that, you know, I, I've, Sam and I, you and I's conversations have been a lot about is, is really kind of growing into that skin and, um, and not just becoming a man, but becoming like becoming the man and understanding the burden that comes with that. And, and yet still how to be the same funny, humble, cool self. That's great. Well, uh, I think, Sam, I think he did fine. How would you think he did with your questions? Yeah, I think he did great. <laughs> All right, Jordan, that's it. That's it. That's it. Let's just start it over again. Just go back. Just, just do a, <laughs> one that's twice as long, and you can re-ask me all the questions. I practiced that. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks for the support on the Season of Sam podcast, and we'll definitely be talking as the season goes on, brother. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right. There it is, Jordan Palmer on the Season of Sam podcast. Sam? What was it like, you know, we've interviewed a bunch of people, right? People you've never met before, like Pete Carroll, people you've known as like quote unquote adults, like Trent Dilfer, I've met here and there in the media, Colin Coward. Uh, Jordan is the guy you've known the most, outside of maybe Coach Helton, but a different relationship. What's it like to have to go deeper with somebody who you already know a lot about? Yeah, it's it's can be hard. Uh, Cause like you said, I mean, I spend so much time with him and have asked him so many questions about getting better and um, that, that last conversation that we had about uh, staying grounded but also knowing how good you are and being confident and straddling that line, we, we have conversations about that all the time. And, um, you know, I think, I think Jordan's so interesting because he is an adult and someone I can look up to, but at the same time, you know, when we're having fun, when we're messing around, he's like 
you know, one of my friends. So it's it's pretty interesting. But um, he always has great advice on because he has had experience with um, you know the different teams that he's been on and seeing these different personalities and seeing how they mesh with their teammates and uh, all this all this different experience. And I think uh, having him on here is just um, I mean, it shows just what kind of person he is, but also how uh, helpful he can be uh, to other people. And I think that's one of his main goals in life, and we talk about that as well, is he really just wants to help people. Um, he said he's always, you know, palms down, um, and he's always just given to people and never wants to receive anything himself. And I think that's just kind of who he is. That's a good takeaway. I mean, that's the first thing when we talked about this podcast. You were like, I want to share the experience that we go and gain from other people as well as glean things um, for your own life. So I think there's some similarities there. For me, a great takeaway was, you know, he talked about his purpose and 25 words or less. That was a big phrase from Coach Carroll when he was here at SC in his coaching clinics. Uh, my challenge for you is by the end of the podcast season, you're going to be able to come out here and say your purpose in 25 words or less. Uh-oh. Accept? Yeah. I accept it. Yeah. Okay. All right. There it is. He accepts it. We accept <laughs> all of the uh, love and support. You can check out uh, Sam Donald this weekend, Oregon State on the Pac-12 Networks at 1 o'clock Pacific. Uh, for Sam Donald, I'm Yogi Roth. This is The Season of Sam. We'll be right back with an interview with the starting center, Nico Fall. All right. Welcome back to The Season of Sam podcast, joined by center... Mr. Nico Fala, appreciate you coming on the pod, man. Happy to be here. Now, are you a podcast guy? Uh, I'm not. You're not a podcast no, guy? I'm not. If you were going to have your own podcast, your own show, what do you think you'd title it? Uh, probably Season of Nico, just copy you. I like it. Okay, <laughs> all right. I like it. It's a win for the, for the pod. We're, we're making a statement here. Um, I, I'm really curious, you know, when I dive into your story, um, I want to know when you first fell in love with football because your dad's from Columbia, right? Yes, sir. And was soccer kind of the, the first game that was in your household? Uh, basketball was, actually. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what about basketball drove you eventually to the gridiron? Uh, I mean, basketball is a sport you play every day. I like football because you need like, a whole team, a big field, a ball, the basketball, the park is around the corner. But uh, eventually in high school, my first year was basketball. And my freshman year, then eventually I turned to football because I saw my future as a football player was brighter. Okay. Mm -hmm. What's that like to see your future? Like, I think every, every athlete has that moment. Like, I remember mine when I was a freshman. I felt football was my future. Mm -hmm. for, for you, what was the thing that clicked? Uh, I'd say, like, in basketball, everybody was getting taller. Everybody was getting lankier. And I just kind of stayed the same. I like 6'4". <laughs> I feel like a little big dude, kind of a big dude, bulky guy. So I kind of saw my uh, future in football a lot brighter because, like, it was kind of more uh, my built. So you weren't going to play the point? Uh, no, yeah, I'm not a big point guard guy. I'm over center. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, what was your house like growing up? Dad from Columbia. Mm -hmm. He also went to UCLA. Yes. So so what was the dynamic like growing, growing up in your house around sport? I mean, honestly, we didn't have a big sports family. I'm the only athlete in my family. My brother didn't play sports. My dad played sports. I mean, he'll tell you he's a big athlete, but he's really not. I mean, <laughs> he played sports freshman year in high school. That's pretty much it. My mom didn't play sports, so I mean, it's kind of neat. My parents uh, pushed me wherever to go, whatever made me happy. And uh, sports made me happy because I can, you know, just be energetic, be with my friends out there in the field. And uh, wherever the wind took me, I just did it. This is interesting. You know, family didn't push you to sports, mm -hmm. and you end up going to one of the more premier athletic high schools in the country. What was it like when you're there with St. John Bosco with, with a bunch of talented players, mm -hmm. and then you got this a family behind you not necessarily pushing you towards being – you know, in that pipeline of student athletes coming out of that uni or coming out of that high school. Uh, it's funny actually. 
I applied to many high schools. One of them was Bishop Montgomery because that was my feeder school for my elementary school in the South Bay. I got denied, actually. And I was on the wait list for St. John Bosco. I didn't go there for uh, athletics at all. I, mean, I just decided to play sports when I got there in my freshman year. And uh, uh, God worked in mysterious ways. I got a call like three weeks before school started and I, I made it. So I was kind of late to football camp too. And I finally got in there and just uh, decided to play football. Wow. Mm -hmm. It is amazing how it works out. Huh? Yeah. Like, did you think your journey, if you descript it from ninth grade when you first fell in love with football, that you'd burst onto the scene against UCLA a couple years ago <laughs> and this is how it would play out? Uh, no way, man. I mean, it's just, uh, it's crazy how things work out and uh, how things fall into place. And it's, uh, I'm kind of happy I'm a living proof of that. You are the leader of this offensive line group, mm -hmm. right? You got to make the calls. You're responsible for touching the football every snap. Mm -hmm. What's it like being around this group that, is a unique personality fit in the game of football. I mean, it's a very, uh, it's a very special part I play. I'd say. I mean, my kind of my first time here at USC, I felt like I'm in control. I'm a leader of the offensive line. I mean, last year I was with two All-Americans, Zach and Chad Wheeler, and uh, Damian too. But now I feel like I have the, I'm, I'm controlling. I'm driving the car now. So, uh, like you said, it's a very unique position. I mean, I make all the calls. Everybody goes off me. So. Uh, it's a big leadership role I have to play, and uh, I'm just trying to take advantage of it and be the best I can be in it. All right, so t take us through the center position because mm -hmm. I think it's always fascinating. We love talking about quarterbacks, yeah, right? Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. titled the Season of Sam podcast, mm -hmm. but this this segment is the Season of Nico. So <laughs> I'm curious, though, for you, you're six inches away from big dudes. Mm -hmm. Some are really fast. Some are really big. They're all really strong. And you've got to make a call. You've got to change your protection. You have all these things happening. Try to explain to people that are not your size, that don't have the ability to play center, you know, literally through – breaking the huddle to, or getting the play from the sideline to getting to the, to the line of scrimmage and having to make a call, make an adjustment, and get hit at the same time. Yeah, I mean, well, first got to start with a play call from the sidelines from uh, our offensive, uh, one of our offensive guys who gives me the play, a hand signal. Then I get to the ball, I have to call the, the defensive front they're in. Then I have to make my call. And when I make my call, the tackles can relay off that because whatever I say the tackles will do. And uh, it was tough last week, too, because Washington State, I mean, it was a loud stadium. My head was down. Mm -hmm. And uh, their defensive front moved a lot. So it was kind of a pretty tough job for me. So I kind of uh, had to rely on my guards, Chris Brown and Viane. And uh, when V went down, it was even tougher because Voorhees, I mean, he's a new guy. He knows the playbook, but not like Viane does. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a tough job for me. What, when you, like, when there's contact mm -hmm. within less than a second, yeah. what's that like to have to be able to react and, and be that strong in such a short you know, short or small space? Uh, I mean, you have to be strong, but I'd say it's more of a technician standpoint. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to be a really big technician. I mean, I've learned from uh, some pretty good centers we had here, like Marcus Martin and Max Turk. I watched their film a lot, and uh, just trying to go off that. But, I mean, strength does play a big part, but I'd say it's more of a technique standpoint. You know, in basketball, we don't have any of your basketball film right now, but I just imagine <laughs> you down low and just like a little nudge to somebody, and you can move them, right, about the technique of playing in the post yeah. or whatever it may be. Do you think that your hoops skills from back in the day have helped you at the center and all the little nuances of technique and body positioning? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was playing basketball, I always did a lot of, like, basketball camps, a lot of basketball footwork drills, like, extra stuff like the Velocity Sports Performance Center. I always did that stuff. And I think my footwork translated from basketball onto the football field with uh, just my short steps as a lineman. When you look back to last game, the center, you're the captain, you talked about your role and responsibility, all of a sudden guys go down, right? Guys don't make the trip due to, you know, potential injury. Uh, what's that like for you when, okay, your responsibility already is at a high level. You know you're going against 
probably one of the more athletic defensive fronts you're going to see all season long. And now you've got a bunch of new guys rotating in in one of the more hostile environments on a Friday night um, in the Pac-12 conference. I mean, it was tough. I mean, a funny story was me and Chris Brown, like the fourth quarter, there's like a dead ball in the game. And then me and Chris just looked around us. We're like, who are these guys next to us? There was no Toba, no Chuma, no Vianne. It was three new guys playing their first game as Trojans. And, I mean, it was tough. But, hey, uh, like Coach Helen always says, next man up. I mean, these guys are here for a reason. They're USC Trojans. And we recruit them because they're the best at their position. So they uh, they uh, finished the game really strong. and But they have always stuff to work on. But Right. R- write an article about you after the UCLA game a couple years ago when you get thrown in, right? You mm-hmm. go from fourth string to starting that game and balling out in that game, playing really well. And after your first snap, one of your teammates said, hey, man, you, di- you didn't say anything. Like, your job is to make a call. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you clicked in, obviously, and had a, an incredible game. Was there a moment like that where you as the veteran went to some of those young guys uh, intermittently throughout the game and said, hey, man, you know, how we doing or checking in? And I'm curious the communication that mm-hmm. occurred between some of the new players from you. Oh, yeah, definitely uh, a big uh, experience I have for that is Andrew Voorhees against Washington State last week. When my head was down, I was waiting for him to make a call. He didn't make a call, so I put my head up and snapped the ball. I mean, I just had to go off that millisecond. My head was up when I snapped it. So, I mean, uh, it was tough. I was going to learn, but it's a good learning experience for Andrew. Hey, what's that position group now like? I mean, you guys clearly had a ton of hype coming into mm-hmm. the season, well worth it. You still have a bunch of expectations around you. Um, and now, you know, it's the non-sexy positions yeah. that have to really make sure that the glue can, or this thing can be glued back together and you can make sure that you can maintain you know, the upward momentum and trajectory you guys have throughout the season. I'm curious what the responsibility feels like in the offensive line group, room now. I mean, it's tough. Like, we had a high expectations, like you said, but uh, it hasn't been going our way, really. But uh, it's all about improvement every week. We need to improve every week. I mean, we're not going to get to the top in between two games. We just got to improve every week. Uh, with our new guys filling in, they got to get better. They got to learn. And uh, it's just a learning process. It's a, it's a building process every day and every game. What's it like to, to walk around this campus um, or play and know that the expectations are what they are? I mean, it's, uh, it's really uh, a lot of pressure on us. I mean, we wear the USC shirt around campus. It's a big weight for us, and uh, we just got to live up to the hype every day. I mean, there's always fans tweeting us on Instagram and Twitter and all that. You just got to block that out, though, and focus on yourself and focus on the next game. Yeah, what's that like? I mean, when I played, we, we mm-hmm. it was called the Facebook. Right? <laughs> they didn't even have just one word. Um, but I'm curious. You know, people can get at you guys whenever they want. When it's great, it's awesome. You can retweet it all day long. Yeah. Uh, but when it's not, there's the other side of that. And I'd be curious to go inside the mind of a student athlete now. Uh, I mean, when we win, like you said, it's all happy. Everybody's happy. Everybody's smiling. When we right. lose, though, it's like the end of the world when we're a USC Trojan. I experienced that last week. I got so many tweets, so many messages about what's going on with the offensive line. And I mean, you just got to block that out, like I said. And uh, it's a we're, in a we're in a top platform. Everybody's looking at us. Everybody wants to be us. And everybody thinks they're, the, they're professional in what they do and our, their comments on us. But uh, all we got to listen to is our coaches because, I mean, they get paid to coach us, not the fans. Right. Mm-hmm. I've always loved the idea of football being like the ultimate team game. Yeah. You know, basketball, as you know, you could be a sweet, mm-hmm. you know, power forward at 6'4", like you were back in the day, and just <laughs> run things. Um, but football's really that team sport where it's one breakdown and you know, the play can be a negative play. Mm-hmm. Um, curious, when you look at the game, why do you b- believe or trust that it is one of the most unique team sports? Uh, um, I would say, like, Coach Allen puts it in a good way. If uh, one person on the offense uh, doesn't do their job, it affects the whole offense. Right. 
because uh, we need every piece of the puzzle to be in a, a specific place for uh, offense to run and offense to work. And uh, same for the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I'm not a defensive player, but I'm sure that's a defensive motto too. So uh, we need everybody in the field to do their job and do their job right in order for our team to work. When it gets into a, t a tight moment in the game, mm -hmm. it's a critical down a distance. You got to make a play. What's Sam like? Uh, I mean, people always ask me this question: What's Sam in the huddle? How's mm -hmm. he like? But uh, I mean, I'll be real with you. Sam just says the play. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't say anything else. No motivation is needed. I mean, if we do our job and we get the play and we execute right, we can all celebrate after the play. I mean, nothing needs to see, be said in between the plays. So. Yeah. Are there times when you'll watch the film back and see his second reaction game in the pocket where he kind of slides past the defensive mm -hmm. lineman and then sneaks in front yeah. of a linebacker and drops a dime over a safety? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always see that stuff. I mean, it's crazy how he does it. I mean, I kind of experience, sometime, experience it sometimes because he, like, goes in front of the pocket in front of me and runs the ball and dodges <laughs> all these tackles. I'm like, wow. It's, he never does it in practice, of course, but when it's game time, he turns it on. Have you guys ever shot hoops together? I uh, know we've not. Do you still have some hoop game? Oh, yeah, I always try to play basketball. I mean, I kind of stopped recently, but like during my redshirt years here, you know, <laughs> when I wasn't play, playing, that's all I did in the student gym. That's amazing. What's your favorite part of sport? You know, like when you roll out and play or watch games, is it the crowd? Is it the environment? Is it the team that comes together? Is it the, the guys who do the dirty work like yourself? Mm -hmm. I'd say it's a team aspect. I mean, I'm starting to realize now that I'm a senior that I may never get this chance again to be with all my friends from different backgrounds, from different cultures, being together, joking around the locker room. I mean, it's a it's a big team aspect for me. It's a family aspect for me. And uh, I'm just trying to cherish the moment I'm in right now because you never know when the game's going to end. Yeah. Take us through the... I, I'm always interested with, like, a senior, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there comes a point where it clicks in. You're like... This is the last Wednesday practice heading into week six of my collegiate career. Like, have you clicked into that mode yet of like, man, this is the last of everything as every day goes by? No, definitely. I mean, I was looking at the calendar last night. I'm like, damn, I really only have four home games left. Oh. I'm looking at the hotel four more times. going to be my, in the Coliseum four more times. I'm like, it's coming by quick. I mean, I never thought this moment would come right now, but uh, it's starting to come. It's starting to hit me. Do you, do you look towards the future and both lanes of the football lane as well as okay whether you retire at 40 mm -hmm. from playing or you're done playing at 25 like do you look at the other lane and if so how do you kind of mine yourself towards a potential goal in your life mm -hmm. off of football uh, i mean definitely i look at both lanes the real world and the football world of course i want to play football forever but that's not the case for everybody but uh, i mean i'm trying to play the game as long as i can i mean i love this sport i love what i do and uh, i'm just trying to get better every day as a player so i can eventually pursue my career in football. But if that doesn't work out, I mean, happy uh, wherever God takes me in the real world. Yeah, what are your interests? I'm a really big film guy. I love film, I love directing, I love uh, creating stuff and like making scenes. That's what I really love to do. I love it. Okay, so have you hung out at all with Ryan Khalil? I have not, no. Okay, do you know his background? No, I don't. Okay, so obviously former player here, yeah. former center mm -hmm. here, All-American, and now has his own production company. That's awesome. It's yeah. amazing, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's directed, produced a lot of different uh, elements of content. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder why uh, you lean that way. What about storytelling, directing? Is it a blend of, you know, you're directing every snap, saying, hey, there's the <laughs> mic, we got to redirect protection, literally, or is there something else to your cinematic world? Oh, I started when I was younger. My grandpa, on the, my mom's side in the Philippines, was a director there, and I visited the Philippines frequently when I was a kid, and I was always on his sets. I always loved, like, how he made stuff, uh, through made imaginary stuff and, uh, and put it in real life. It was pretty cool for me. So I was, always grew up in that background, and I still love it today. What are some of your favorite films? 
I mean, I don't really have any specific films. I just like uh, creating like quick commercials, quick scenes, like quick, uh, just quick things together to put together. I love it. The, the, the quick media world, yeah. right? Perfect millennial. There it is. <laughs> um, have you seen the two Escobars? No, One of the no. greatest 30 for 30 films ever about Colombia and soccer. It. Yeah, you need mm -hmm. to check that out. Okay, so before we let you go, because um, you are the director, um, <laughs> if you are going to direct the film, how does it go the rest of the way for the USC offensive line? I mean, every game we're going to improve. Uh, every day we're going to get better. You'll see improvement starting this week. Uh, a lot of young guys are going to film this week, and uh, we hope that uh, it's kind of the same story as last year. I mean, we had tough stars offensive line, but eventually we were one of the best offensive lines in the country. So let's try to recreate that story. I like that. And if you were going to cast a couple characters and put them in, you know, different archetypes, right, you would be obviously the hero, right, as the center. <laughs> But who would be some of these other players that you look, the guy that comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden fills in the gap, the guy that coaches from the sideline? Do you have a couple personality types for this group of guys that we're going to see come together in the film that you're directing? I'd say the big star coming up, like I said, is Andrew Voorhees. I mean, we don't know the future about Vianne, what his injury is, but uh, right now he's the guy. He's the guy at right guard, and he's the guy fishing the rest of the season. So let's uh, hope he has a big year. All right, Andrew Voorhees, you got cast, man. You're the lead. <laughs> or he, he, he's supporting cast. Yeah, we know, supporting we cast know who the lead is. All right, I love it. This is the season of Nico segment. Mm -hmm. We appreciate it. We'd love to have you back, man. Let us know what your favorite film is. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And I have, a, I have a, an opinion on films. I think there's a difference between films and movies. Mm -hmm. Like a movie is like a fun movie you could just watch, but a film is like a film. And yeah. it grips you. Hits you, yep. Okay, all right. Well, we're going to watch the film. The office might let us and there it is, another season of Sam Podcast in the books. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you enjoy the most. Any questions, go to usctrojans.com. Of course, we want to thank our guests today, Jordan Palmer and Nico Fala, the starting center of the USC Trojans. And, of course, our crew. Without them, it is not possible. Led by executive producers Tim Teslone and Paul Goldberg, producer Katie Ryan, editor and engineer Rich Rodriguez, and head of social media Jordan Moore. Make sure you check out the Trojans this weekend, 1 o'clock Pacific against Oregon State on the Pac-12 Networks. I'm your host, Yogi Roth. Talk to you soon.